On today's podcast, I have AJ Osborne on, and AJ owns over 2 million square feet of self-storage. It's about 10,000 doors, and the crazy part is him and I are partnering on buying a bankrupt Kmart and converting that into self-storage. So um, we're talking about that deal and how exactly we're going to do that. Um, it's pretty crazy, all of the things that go into you know rezoning a property and building out all of these storage units. On top of that, there are um, there is land around it that makes it a really interesting deal. But um, we also talk about his experience in the self-storage game and why there is so much demand for it versus years past. Um, it was something that I couldn't understand why I kept seeing these things built everywhere. But his explanation makes complete sense on why demand is growing and um, how Amazon and these other companies are going to affect the demand of self-storage. So if you've ever been interested in self-storage, this is a great um, episode to watch. If you want to invest in this deal, you know definitely want to watch this episode. So with all that being said, let's jump into it. Welcome to The Ryan Pineda Show, where our mission is to invest I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. Now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ryan Pineda Show. Today, I have a repeat guest. We haven't had many. You have to just be an absolute stud to get a second invite. And this man is deserving of it, not only because he's a stud in his own right, but him and I are actually buying a Kmart building together here in Las Vegas. And we just got done filming it and said, man, we need to tell people about this. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, not many people are buying Kmarts these days, buddy. <laughs> no. Dude, you know what's funny is this is a totally different Kmart, but there's this other Kmart here in Vegas that was near my house that I've driven by so many times over the years. It's still to this day, like 10 years of vacant. Yeah. No one's doing anything with it. And um, I just have always thought like, man, one day, dude, I'm going to buy that. I don't know what to do with it, but like, it's got to be undervalued. Yes. <laughs> and um, you're proving the way to do this. It's by converting into self-storage. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting as the owners of these big commercial assets had to really readjust their expectations because these big box stores that held these companies like Kmart or any of the other ones, they started to go out of business at mass. And as they were defaulting on their ass or their leases, the asset owners were then looking at this thing saying, well, how do we price this? What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with it? Because the user's gone. And as those I, I think valuations adjusted to come into grips with reality, meaning there's no more Kmart that's going to pay you this huge amount. Uh, that really changed the overall valuation of those assets, which opened the door for other people to come in and say, hey, how can we take this big box commercial store and how do we change it into something else that will provide a higher revenue than it's currently being used today? And that changes that valuation of that asset massively. Yeah. So for those who don't know, you know, we'll dive into this deal here um, shortly, but like for those who don't know, who are you, dude? Yeah. What so, gives you the right to go and convert these Kmarts? Yeah. Um, so I've been in self-storage now since the early 2000s. We own over 2 million square feet across, um, I think I think we're 10 states right about now. Um, so that's about, I haven't even last looked, but like 10,000 doors um, and we've done everything from ground up, new build to converting, 
Kmarts and also office buildings that uh, during the uh, COVID crisis went vacant and got in trouble. So we bought some of those up and we changed those assets into something that is more in demand, user friendly that people actually want. And that's storage in those markets. And so we focus on operations, acquisitions, but we're a fully integrated private equity company that does this. We see all aspects of self-storage. Yeah. So what led you down the path of getting into self-storage? Yeah, it was, you know, really, you're talking, I needed cash flow to diversify because I I did insurance sales. I followed my father's footsteps and sold insurance. So we would do like health benefits, right? And we would sell insurance. We would get paid commissions from that. And we were taxed very, very high because of the fact that that is just a commission paid to us at straight income. We had no assets. There was no offset. So we were taxed extremely high and that income was volatile, meaning if I lost a client, my income would drop dramatically. So it wasn't it wasn't a sustainable or compoundable thing. So we got into real estate to first get tax deductions, which is great. And that's something we give to our investors. And then also it is to get cash flow or uh, stabilize cash flows to create financial freedom. And that was really important to us because of that inconsistency of our income, which you know most people have. If you have a W-2, you're not in control of that income. That's somebody else. So the risk associated was really high. So people move into real estate to offset and to build in financial freedom to create wealth and income. So that's the reason we did it. Self-storage was, it was very simple. I didn't understand real estate at all. I didn't understand equity. This was in, you know, early 2000s. And I was actually looking at homes because everybody was getting really rich off homes. All my friends were. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll just buy buy up homes or small fourplexes or something like that. Uh, there was never any cash flow at that time. You know, people were not doing, doing good things and I couldn't make it work. And my dad's like, hey, look at this storage facility. So I went and looked at that and nobody wanted storage mm. at the time. Nobody wanted to touch it. So the cash flow is huge. I mean, we're talking like 10, 12 caps. Now it was <laughs> operationally a nightmare right. because nobody knew how to run it or anything, but we went into that just for the cash flow because that's what we needed. And then we built the management company or what I call the business of self-storage uh, around that. And we've been doing that now since a long time, Jeez, almost 20 years. Wow. Freaking crazy. So, you know, you just saw the opportunity back when all these other people didn't. And you said, yeah, you know, this is not like necessarily proven yet. You know, there's not big buyers for this yet. And operationally, there's no like streamlined way to do it. Yeah. But how much has it changed now, you Holy know, God. 20 years later? It's shocking as an understatement to say how much our real estate asset has changed. It, it went from you know, literally somebody told us, you're going from insurance professionals, like white collar to slumlords and you have these junkyards and that's how it was perceived, right? It was like banks wouldn't want to give us money. Nobody understood it. They thought it was risky to now it is, I mean, it's, it's competitive with, uh, as far as like cap rates go to things like multifamily that is super safe and secure. The demand from investors for self-storage is insatiable because of how resilient it has been through the recessions, how predictable it's been, and the overall economics that are driving the value of these things that we identified a long time ago, they're not only going away, they're speeding up. So the economics of major retailers was eroding away, 
right? But the economics of storage was actually speeding up and getting better. Why? And that's not stopping. Why is storage demand just increasing? So a lot of people get this pretty confused. They think we're hoarders and that's why we use storage <laughs> yeah, in America, just, right? People just, like, buying more people crap, just buying more like, crap and they're storing it. And uh, we just overflow our houses, everything else, um, which, I mean, I guess that's partially true, but really the fundamental reason is it's an economic and regulatory issue. Prices of real estate have skyrocketed way out past income. So the size of houses have gone down. Lots have gone down. Our purchasing power in real estate has gone down. So we're becoming more and more of a renter nation. Um, Home sizes are shrinking. And that has led to the ability to store the same things that a family would have had 20 years ago has shrunk. And also the regulatory aspect of real estate, meaning HOAs and government regulation. It's not like it was in the eighties, you know, when we grew up, when you could just build a shop on the side of the house or park your RV or do whatever you want on your lawn. You can't do any of that. Now your grass has to look a certain way. You get anything attached to the house. It has to be approved. Mm -hmm. So you can't use real estate the way we used to. And it cost is so inhibitive to try to build out, you know, an extra 10 by 10 out of your house. That's really expensive to do. Even if you could, even if regulation would let you. I'm not building that to go store stuff. No, (laughs) no, exactly. It's a horrible, and for businesses. So the internet came on and it decentralized the workforce and then COVID happened and that happened even more. Um, But the price of real estate for businesses got so high. If I have to do like, let's say record storage, I'm not going to use office space that I need an ROI. It's too expensive. So I'm going to pay a cheap storage facility and I'm going to use the office space for an ROI, something that's actually going to make our income grow. So those two things together have just made self-storage demand grow and grow and grow. And obviously it's not stopping anytime soon, unless we think that regulation is just going to go back to where they'll let you do anything you want on your <laughs> houses. And we're going to cut, you know, our, our building cost in half and, and, and housing will drop in half, which isn't going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. And I've always wondered that why is self-storage in demand so much more? Um, and to hear you explain, it makes perfect sense. You know, at the end of the day, um, housing's really expensive, you know, buying commercial space is really expensive. And so if you have all this stuff, you just like, you're not going to put it in a house or a commercial space. Like no. storage is the best option for yeah. it. And I even saw it in my own life in my first business when I was flipping couches, you know, like I talked about how, um, I just started running that out of multiple storage units and, you know, my rent was like 500 bucks for all these units. And I was ru- able to run a legit business yep. out of storage units, you know, for 500 bucks. If I would have tried to go get a commercial space, I would have spent like 2000 mm-hmm. and I got the same result. People were fine going to the storage to pick it up. And I've seen many people building businesses, especially online businesses out yes. of storage units. Hundred percent. That is a huge trend that we see. We have uh, one storage facility that we developed and opened up, and it was like thirty percent of the whole facility was from businesses. It wasn't from individuals. Right. They were renting it because they, you know, we need. We have a couple problems, and Amazon's working really hard to solve these problems. But the logistics issue that has occurred from the decentralization uh, brought on by the internet is a big problem. Last mile. So we're shipping products and services outside of town, but then we have the problem of getting them all over town, right? So storage facility has allowed for big companies and smaller independent uh, owners. Like you mentioned, Amazon is not, Amazon doesn't sell the product. It's Amazon sellers that are on the platform. 
well, I have Amazon businesses. I've sold Amazon businesses. We, we, we've seen them be built. I have friends that own huge Amazon businesses. They were using storage facilities to store their product, sh- verify it, ship it to Amazon. So all of a sudden you have all of these entrepreneurs that can sell maybe let's say a hundred products where it used to be with a centralized distribution chain, like a Kmart, you would have to go and get you know hundreds of thousands of products. And the barriers of entry was Kmart, Walmart, or somebody else that said, you can't sell this to the public unless you go through me because I am the distribution center. Mm. So the downfall of retail directly correlated in the increased demand for self-storage because of that decentralization. Now, you can actually build a business selling 100 products a year just fine. You can do it from a website and a storage unit, and you can make a living doing that. You never could do that prior because of the infrastructure that you needed and the barriers of entry. And that all of these things have really created long-term and and accelerating demand. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, it's funny because one of my companies, Lunar Ecom, we create Amazon stores for people and we do drop shipping. So, you know, to just see this Amazon effect of what it is doing in the entire economy um, it's crazy, right? And it's, it's led, it's led to opportunities where we can now go buy a Kmart, right? Yes. And people can invest with us to do that. Yes. And, uh, before we talk about our Kmart deal, this is not your first one. Tell me about the one you just did. So, you know, this is some people may have heard about this, um, and utilizing these old assets, but at the time when we started looking at it and it, it was not a thing. Like people weren't doing this. And <laughs> the idea of turning one of these into another type of asset, first of all, it just didn't even dawn on people. It was just, these things are done over and they were sitting around. So cities are like, this thing has been vacant. It takes a mass area of prime real estate in our city. The cities want them gone. That allowed us to say, hey, if we came in, bought this thing, turned it into something useful, gave the city what it wanted, we could get into an area that we couldn't access. So if I wanted to get that same thing in that area, land is either not available, it's astronomical, or it would never get approved. Now that it's a bankrupt Kmart and it's fallen apart and the city hates it and it's creating other problems, they'll say, we'll approve you to change that utilization, to do something, to regentify that area, to make good economic use out of it. And we now get access into a location that we wouldn't have had access to. So we bought it on the main exit um, in Reno and we did a whole bunch of YouTubes and kind of documented and it was a learning process, but the city was excited to work with us. We got to build the storage, but also the land, the parking, all that land attached to not the building, we turned into multifamily. So we actually, well, we sold that off. We sold that off to a multifamily developer and we did the whole thing. It was, uh, our, our cost into it was about $8 million, meaning we sold the land off the cost we had left over. So we put $2 million into it. Um, and then we build it out. We did inside, we put an actual driving lane. So we built a road through the building, which doors, automatic doors. So people could drive into the building, have unloading zones. We filled up in like eight months. Um, we're actually under contract to sell it right now. So we'll, we'll be selling it, but. And how much are you selling it for? Uh, 35 million. So you were all into it for 8 million? Yes. And selling it for 35 million. How, how many years did that take? Uh, about five, five years. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. Wow. So 
the deal that we got, you know, we were out there in Henderson, um, walking it and checking it out and, man, we were on the roof. We were yeah. like, you were, you were explaining the vision to me of, you know, building that road through it. Just like you said, you know, making this Kmart a two story building now and taking out like the tiles so that we could fit two stories. Like there's so much that goes into so it. So much. It's, you know, it's an amazing project because there's so much that goes into it, but at the same time, it's a blank slate for us. So when you go into them, it's big, open, and, you know, there's really nothing as far as office or walls and there's no, you know, infrastructure. It was built that way. For most real estate people, that is a bad thing. Meaning it's like, what are we going to do with all this empty space? A lot of cost that we have to now build in. Exactly. For us, it's actually perfect because we would just have to tear it all down. So it creates a great opportunity, but a blank canvas for us to go in and add features to build out. Are we doing two-story? Do we do elevators? Do we do drive-throughs? What are the access points going to look like? How can we better fit market uh, in-demand products and create it so we have products in this market that aren't being utilized at all? So what kind of things, features can we add into it that isn't being offered and gives us uh, uh, kind of a monopoly over that size or that that type. So it, it we like it a lot because of that blank canvas effect. Yeah. Well, you know, some things I took away while we were walking it together and doing some of our initial due diligence was, you know, we're on the roof, we're looking at these big AC units, right? And you're telling me, um, how much was it cost if, if they weren't working to replace it? Half a million. You're going to spend half a million dollars on AC units if, you know, there aren't some things that we can do. Yes. Um, but then you were telling me while we were inside, you said, but the reality is we actually don't even need all these AC units. That's right. Like we it's, could just eliminate a bunch of them. Yeah. So we, you have these ginormous AC units that had to keep this entire building at a certain temperature with lots of people in it, lots of things going on. Um, a storage facility isn't nearly in demand uh, for that kind of need of AC units. So that allows us to go through and on these huge AC units, what we're trying to identify is they're so cost, uh, uh, costly that identify the best ones that have been serviced and then find the ones that we would actually either have to replace or it's damaged. And then how can we disconnect and not utilize those and maximize the ones that we have, which will greatly reduce our cost yeah. and allow us to utilize the these massive expensive ACs that are already in place. Yeah, no, 100%. If you're listening to this podcast, then my guess is you're interested in real estate investing. Some of you are just starting out while others are trying to scale their business to the next level. But the problem is with so much information out there, most people don't know which program or coach to trust. Well, I'm a bit biased, but I believe my company, Future Flipper, can help you get to the next level. We've coached thousands of students from all over the world on how to build their real estate investing business. It doesn't matter whether you want to flip, wholesale, or buy rentals. Our coaching program has everything you need to become a great investor. There are many things that we include with coaching, but to give you a few examples, you're going to get an accountability coach. These are people that have had success in their own business, and they want to make sure that you achieve success in yours. We also have all of our documents, our systems, and processes that I've used to buy hundreds of homes. You can copy and paste them directly into your own business. And we have events where you get to meet me, top-level guest speakers, and other students who are crushing it. My students do deals with each other, and I personally do deals with them too. In fact, at a recent event, I just honored over 20 people in our program that made over a million dollars in the last year. So if you want to grow your real estate business, head over to futureflipper.com and apply for a call with our team. 
Call us completely free and they can help point you in the right direction whether you work with us or not. So go to futureflipper.com and book your call today. For the last year, the real estate market has been on absolute fire. Prices are at all-time highs, interest rates are at all-time lows, and there is more money in the economy than ever. But with so much competition, many investors are sitting on cash, struggling to find great deals. If this sounds like you, then you need to invest with Pineda Capital. With my network and social media following, we get access to the best real estate deals all over the country. And if you're an accredited investor, you can invest with me on those deals. In fact, last year, we purchased a 334-unit apartment complex in Georgia for almost $20 million. We expect it to be worth well over $30 million when it's all said and done. Our goal with each deal is to build in so much equity from the beginning that we're able to refinance our investors' cash out and own the properties together with little to no money into the deal. And the best part is, you don't have to do anything. Our team will find the deals, handle the renovations, get them leased, and eventually refinanced or sold. All you have to do is provide the capital. So if you want exclusive access to our deals before they hit the public, go to PinedaCapital.com to schedule a call. We can put your money to work today to start getting you great returns. So go to PinedaCapital.com now to get access to our deals. Um, the other thing that I found interesting while you're we walking through it was the whole two-story thing. Yeah. You know, because like you said, these Kmarts are just big, giant boxes. Yeah. So what's like the rule with that? So, you know, two stories, interesting. And this is what we're really trying to diagnose within this building. If we can get a full two story out. And one of the things that we learned while converting, um, an office building was there's really expensive ways and building a two story, um, you can incur mass amounts of cost into a building. In storage, though, we can actually do it at very, very low cost because of how the units are built and how the seams run. We can actually build the units in a way that they will support that second story. So oh, we don't need to build supports. Wow. We don't need to drill down. We don't need to re-anchor. What we're looking for and what our team has to figure out is height and overall uh, like square footage impact of weight. So- they are going to look at how this building was built, the foundation, and how much weight per square foot it can take, and then the height to get clearance on it to allow it. I didn't even think about that, the bottom units being the support. That's genius. Yeah. Cool, huh? Well, and you were also telling me while we were walking through that, like, the it's not hard to build. Like, I was like, how long is this going to take? And you're like, I don't even know what it was like less than a year. You're like, yeah, this is going to take us less than a year to do this entire thing. I was like, what? And you're like, dude, think about it. It's just like putting sheets of metal like over and over again. It's it's shocking. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we view them as like Lego. Like it's like Tinker Toys. So you, as long as the building itself, like we have like the roof and all that is in place, the big things that you have is the office. So we have to construct the office, which that can take a while. Then access points. The office is the only kind of like real real estate. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You're exactly right. Other than that, you bring in and we hire out, you know, our third parties that are experts in this. They come in, we take our design and they're just, I mean, the floor is we can actually leave it the floor as is. So they can come in and just literally start putting it all together. The where we look at things that would take time is if the they have a shortage and can't supply and we have to wait for the metal. But I mean if you have the metal, I mean these guys can knock it out quickly. Um it's it's pretty amazing. 
Have you ever done the cost? I'm sure you have, but like, what does like one storage unit cost to make? Like okay. the two sheets of metal, the door, yeah, you know. So that's a really good question, and and I don't know that I have an exact answer <laughs> because there's so many variables. But it, I know it can't be a lot. changing a ton. Yeah. But I mean, the door itself is going to be pretty expensive. These are big roll up doors that you have to access. They're heavy, and it's a lot of metal work. So metal, particularly sheet metal, over the last two years has skyrocketed. So that really changed. But I mean, let's say. If we were talking about building, let's say 50 bucks a square foot um, to build it out. Yeah. So now the building and things like that cost, but if we're talking about the actual unit, yeah. it's probably somewhere between 30 to 50 bucks for the actual unit yeah. itself. So like a it's 10 by much. 10 would be five grand to build. Yeah. Probably something similar to that. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Maybe the door maybe more. So that door would probably add in that extra cost over five grand. Um, but it's, it's not significant and that's right. going to depend on what type of door you're using swing roll up and how expensive those are. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not like you're building an apartment unit. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to get a toilet, a kitchen, a no, no, bathroom. no, it's, and they're, they're all pre-made. So we actually go to the factory. So the fa- their factories are in Arizona and we just, when you see them and the sheet metals coming off these things, they're just cutting it up and yeah, it's they can mass produce it very easily. That's crazy. So tell us about the deal that we got on this one. Yeah. So um, as wonderful, I think, as this idea sounds, I'm going to go buy a bankrupt Kmart and I'm going to turn it into a storage facility. Um, the first time we did it, it was amazing work. We're going to do this more often. And then it became very hard to actually find one that would work because we have two sides. Because there's a lot of Kmarts. There's a lot of Kmarts. But why lot. are they so hard? So when we're looking at the actual like success of a storage facility, you're breaking it up into two parts. So you have the market itself, right? And then the asset and the market is so important in self-storage because you're building, you know, 800 units and supplying a market that if that market doesn't need it, you're going to be in a lot, a lot of trouble. So we have to find markets that have super high demand that have barriers of entry that allow us to get in, but maybe not others that we can supply that many units to the market and it can sustain the prices that we need to get out of it. That actually becomes kind of a difficulty when you're looking over the last five years, what's happened in storage. Um, This one was what I would say is the Goldilocks. It's just right. The building itself is the right shape. It's on the right roads. It's in the right location. Um, the demographics around it, the uh, structure itself is in good condition, right? The big, big costs that we look at it, we're not seeing. It has the extra land. Um, and then the market itself, there's a lot of demand. So we see a lot of demand. It's a good, healthy, growing market. But the revenue per square foot that we can get, which makes all the difference, is at the higher end of what we see. So that makes it so it's viable. So you need all of those things to make a project work great. And most of the Kmarts were actually in horrible places. Demand was terrible. Demographics were terrible. So they were just useless. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting about self-storage. And by the way, if anyone wants to learn about self-storage, AJ wrote a book. I've read it. It's amazing. Um, What's it called again? Uh, It's called The Investor's Guide to Growing Wealth and Self-Storage. Yep. So we'll link to that down below and get on Amazon. Ironically, they probably store it. That's right. You know, and probably <laughs> <laughs> they're shipping it out. That's right. Um, but yeah, I just think uh, like it's so crazy to think about 
like the demand in all these places. Um, and that's what your book showed me when I read it. I remember you were like, look, the number one thing is if you oversupply a market, you're toast. And, um, as we were walking through this, I go, Hey, well, AJ, what do you think about that self storage facility? Like right next to it? Do you think that's a problem? Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're like, no, like there's so much demand, so much demand. And, and it's a funny thing that when you're dealing with, cause e- even in self storage, we view it as almost like a retail thing. So it's a combination between an online store and a retail store, meaning we have lots of people moving around. Right. Um, so when you look at the overall market and you're looking next door, a lot of people would assume, oh, that's bad. Like right. you're competing, you're fighting. But in reality, when you're in high demand, so let's take the one next door, they have 800 units and out of the 800 units, they're all full. Well, you still may have, you know, 4,000 people in that area that need a storage, but they can't, (laughs) they have nothing to have nothing. So you can uh, still build it. It's just, once again, about analyzing and nailing all that demand. uh, So you get it right. But in fact, sometimes it helps you. So the one next door is setting super high prices within that market. So if we had nobody in that market, we wouldn't know what price we could achieve. So we wouldn't know how viable that project is. The one next door is at a super high price. So we know exactly what type of units, what they're charging. And that helps us run our overall performance and understanding of the build project. So in this case, not only does it not hurt us, it actually helps us. Wow. So how much are we picking this thing up for? So the total price will be about 13 million. We have the rest of the land uh, attached to it. Um, and then we are going through obviously inspections and everything else, but it, right about 13 million, including the land and everything. Yeah. And so depending on what we do with the land, right? Like that's a whole nother topic. We could keep the land and develop multifamily like the other people did in Reno. Um, we could sell off the land to another multifamily developer and let them do it. Um, you know, we, we were talking yesterday, we could potentially even build, you know, boat storage or RV yeah. storage on the yeah. land because there's like this enormous parking lot that's just not needed for self-storage. Yeah. You, like, it's, you're exactly right. There's so many opportunities with this deal. Um, when we look at a deal, we're looking for the reasons why it would fail. Would it not, wouldn't make sense. And it's usually cause you're constrained where this one, we have multiple avenues as we're looking that we say, okay, well, if this doesn't work, we can pivot and do this, right? If this doesn't work, we can do this. And that's rare. It's either the land will work or it won't work. And we're limited by uh, cost and access, meaning we're granted the ability to do it. Uh, With this, there's there's lots of different variables that we can play and use to our benefit to make sure not only it works, but we're maximizing the value of that asset, which takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. No, it's been fun kind of figuring out which strategy is going to be best for it. Um, other than obviously converting yeah. to Kmart. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this, you know, we anticipate we could be all into this for like 15 to 20 million. It just really depends what to do with the land. Yeah. Um, obviously if we build multifamily. It's going to be a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, what do you think this thing is worth by the time it's done? So looking at, so I did two things before I came down here. First of all, I analyzed um, storage facilities, what they're selling, the price per square foot that we're getting at in today's market. So at stabilization in a market like this today, between 40 to 50 million is not only not unreasonable, but we just were selling our other one for 35 million and its rates are today, um, I think it was 40% lower than the rates today at this location. So 
to think 40 to 50 million. I mean, I mean, if somebody just paid 40% revenue more, exactly. So even if we, even if we matched a much, much higher revenue mark, we're still clearing probably 40 million. That's crazy, dude. (laughs) I was saying this, uh, while we were over there, I'm like, dude, I got to flip so many houses to like, you know, make a few million bucks. And we're like, yeah, you know, this one could make 20 million, might make 30 million, you know, for just a few years of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, that's the beauty about I think developments and conversions is the equity creation in them are it's it's so significant. Um, we're having access to locations we would never have access to, which generally means there's higher rates. We're getting the building and everything already built. It cuts down on time, so the forced or uh, created equity out of them is much bigger than we would see as if we were just doing ground up or something else. Now, obviously these things vary and we have so many things we're looking at with this asset and how we can maximize it and what we can do. So, you know, we, we haven't come up with that strategy yet or those performers or outcomes or anything, but that's the beauty of this one. There's so many ways to take it even higher than we're thinking or looking at. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, you know, for anybody who is interested, you can actually invest on this deal if you're an accredited investor by going to PinedaCapital.com and uh, yeah, you can apply for a call with our team and we'll get you on this deal. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about was the management side of self-storage. So, yeah. you know, when I was flipping couches, I realized like, dude, there's not a lot of management to this. Like, you know, there was the guy in the front office and he was like the only employee managing all of these units, like how difficult is management? You know, the great thing about self-storage is um, management is simple, but not easy. So let me kind of share with you an example. Like you said, it's very predictable, which that's one of my favorite parts of self-storage, the expense ratios associated with the operating. It's For us, it's down to a science. We have all the inputs. There's not a whole lot of variation the complexity comes on the customer acquisition part. So what we found is that um, performance amongst big and better operators that have internalized the management, including their own tech stack and how they are finding um, uh, finding new customers, the right customers, the higher paying customers, getting them in to that unit um, has created a great divide in the overall performance of these assets. So we have management that have been around like ours for 20 plus years that own tech and tech companies that actually go into this. And we're able to acquire those super high paying customers at a low cost and capitalize and bring them in. That causes higher fill up rates everything else. So it's simple in part as far as the person going in it, but it's very complex on the back end or that business side and what we're doing to achieve the highest um, overall projections of that asset and revenue metrics. Uh, they don't all perform equally. It really depends on the operator. Right. Yeah. No, and hundred percent. I mean, how well you manage your operations with any business or multifamily or storage is going to dictate, you know, the NOI and what yeah. it's worth and all that. The thing that just stuck out to me was like, man, dude, at least manpower wise at that oh, actual facility, yeah, it's so minimal. So minimal. And, <laughs> and it's getting even less. So our ability and what we've done is in that Reno deal, we were um, one of the first people, it was uh, me actually, my other friend, we, we were building facilities at the same time and we um, put in 
what is a keyless technology. And that keyless technology is hard embedded into the gates, the overall doors and the asset. And that connects with our software. So what that means is that an individual, let's say that an individual is coming here from Southern California, because that's where they're coming from. Everybody else around here. So if they're coming here from Southern California, they can actually rent from our unit, from their phone, just like on an app. And they could pull in at whatever time. It doesn't even matter if we're open, open up their gates, open up their unit, put everything in, leave. It's all done electronically. It's all done on their phone. It's completely keyless. They don't need a lock. They don't need a key. They don't need any of that. They can drive, leave, come back, get their stuff, check out never once even talking to a, a a person, an employee, and never having to go through the hassle because we have uh, facial recognition and verification to legally sign and hold leases. So they don't need to do the lease. They don't need to get locks. They don't need to get keys. And they have full access. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> That's, I mean, automation, everything else is just, it's going to take over the world. Yes, like, it is. Most people want to get rich at all costs. They make sacrifices with their family, their health, and their faith, all in the pursuit of money without even realizing it. But what if I told you it doesn't have to be that way? What if you could grow your wealth in all areas of life? Well, it's possible, and that's why I created The Wealthy Way. It's a community of people striving to grow together in all areas. And we have multiple tools for you to use that are completely free. You can get access to the Wealthy Way Planner, where you can set goals and hold yourself accountable on a daily basis. We also have our Wealth Builder Academy, which is over four hours of content teaching you how to manage your time, create the right goals, and all the biggest secrets I've used to grow my life, not only in my net worth, but in all aspects. Lastly, we have our Discord community, where thousands of wealth builders are all over the world, encouraging one another and growing together. And once again, all of this is completely free. There are no upsells. There are no hidden catches. For me, this is a passion project and I want to build a community of like-minded people. So if you want to start living the wealthy way today, go to wealthyway.com. There you can get all the free resources like the course, planner, and Discord community. So go to wealthyway.com. What are you seeing with these other things? Like, okay, so we were talking about Amazon earlier and um, how they're kind of changing how things are done. And there's still a ton more they're trying to figure out, right? Like, okay, where do you store all these products? How do you get them to cities and then, you know, distribute them among the cities? And I've seen them do the drones and all this stuff. Um, and I'm just curious, like, where would we expect Amazon to go with real estate? Like, I've heard them or people say they're going to go buy up all the malls and all these things. Like, what do you think? So Amazon, one of the things that Amazon has a unique problem in is the size of the real estate. So the size that they need um, is astronomical. It is humongous, right? I mean, you're talking city blocks that they're building these warehouses, shipping and distributions. I actually think that those will probably keep staying out more on the fringe. And we have a lot of testing and working with things like um, automized vehicles uh, that they can then change their labor force internally through the operations of these massive assets. But then also that shipping and that last mile and that distributions from a main central hub. Uh, which they really need to figure out because that's one of the biggest problems they have. They need so much space. They can't get in close. So that once again, that last mile problem for them and others, it's, it's a really tough problem to hack at the size that they're at. So they're going to keep building real estate, but um, like, you know, Amazon has the same problem with like the, uh, the retailers. That's the only space that 
they're going to use it for. Like there's nobody that's coming and buying a million square foot building. Yeah. Right. I mean, a hundred thousand square feet, they couldn't find a buyer for uh, a million square feet. It's only Amazon. It's the only use that they can even have. So even retrofitting, whether it's a mall, other things, they have a really hard time doing that um, mm. because of logistics, code enforced, how people are coming out, the shipping, the distribution, what they need out of that land, as opposed to just buying a huge vacant piece of land and building exactly to their specs right. and size that they need. So you're saying they're just going to figure out their transport. Yeah. That's, that's, that's like where the they'll drone. optimize. Exactly. Yeah. The real estate's kind of is what it is. Yep. So <laughs> why not do self-storage in like these giant malls? So uh, we've actually looked at uh, uh, several, and uh, the one problem that we have with the giant malls is the uh, lease agreements with the other tenants. So uh, if you let's say it's a J.C. Penney's or something, right? That went went bankrupt. Well, not only do we have to get the approval for from the city, not only do we have to get utilization um, that works for us as far as how it's being used, but the tenants, the land, the owner of the mall, they all also have to be able to sign off. So we, the mall owner just can't give us permission, right? The tenants have to agree. There's certain usages that they've all signed leases for. So we've had to get around things. One we were looking at, well, what if we build a storage facility, but in part of the storage facility, we build out 10, 15,000 square feet of more of a shop or a customer enter facing right. thing that'll get it approved for the mall. So there's just more hoops, but you can, um, and we've looked, uh, at it, but well, uh, the thing I was thinking with the mall was, um, it's not a box like the Kmart. A lot of them are yeah. just, you know, weird shapes and sizes and yes. or it's the Kmart. You're like, yep, this is what it's it just, is. It's what it is. Um, and two also malls tend to be, you have so much going on at that mall it, interesting enough, you're actually a little further away from your customer because you have these huge stores. Lots of times they're surrounded by other commercial. Uh, we like to be really close to our customer. We want to be on a main road. We want to back up to the housing, the multifamily and be tucked right in there with them. Yeah. So I recently saw you make a post um, on Twitter, I think, where you talked about how like all these self-storage guys are going to get burned. Yes. So was it clickbait or what? what's the deal? Yeah. So um, it actually wasn't clickbait, uh, but uh, yeah, that um, post went uh, uh, pretty crazy. And in fact, uh, over the last week, I've even been in conversations with uh, um, Wall Street banks and others as they were asking about our data and things that we were showing. And, you know, really what we were showing is this idea that not all operators are the same. And as prices have increased in self-storage to astronomical highs that never existed prior. so. Self-storage has been in a cap rate phase that has never existed now for five, six years. And when it first dropped down below that national average, it's now half of what it was when it first dropped down. And individuals that are doing these deals, they're buying up these assets, they're putting a lot of constraints on the asset itself that it needs to perform in a certain way that it's not going to probably happen. So interest rates are having effect on two sides. They have effect on our customer, but also the valuations of the assets. So let's say that you bought a self-storage at a super high price, then you need to refinance it in three to four years, and you haven't dramatically increased that revenue. In fact, interest rates hit your customer. And let's say you're just 10% occupancy less, which today would be the historical high. So that's how far off we are. Um, at that point, that operator is completely underwater. 
Mm. And that bank is going to have to hundred uh, percent readjust their loan. And they're either going to have to come up with money or they're going to lose it or they need to sell it. So a lot of people have these event-based investing or these trigger points, meaning all our returns are coming off a future point in which we sell the asset at this great, great price. Now, right. most people that are investing with people don't even know that that's how it's built in. That's how it's working. But that skews those numbers. And if that event doesn't take place, those yeah. investors could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, we're going to be in a lot of pain. Yeah, a lot, a lot of pain. So we construct deals very differently. First of all, we only buy in super high demand that areas that is very, very dense. We have an edge. So the fluctuations of the market, which are going to happen, you know, anyone that says that they're not, you should run away from them because that's not how uh, the economy works, that we can uh, adjust with those fluctuations. How we structure our deals are not predicated on events or trigger points. That gives us long-term flexibility to work in any kind of environment. We focus on cash flow, margin, and our return off of that. Everything else is a cherry on top. Yeah. I The way I interpreted it was that, man, you know, you're just doing conservative underwriting. That's it. Like in, when I flip a house, I'm not like speculating like, oh, this might be worth you know, a million dollars, even though the comps are at 900 today. I'm like, no, it's, it's $900,000. And yeah, the market's hot. And by the time this gets done, you know, it might be worth more, but hey, at 900, this deal works. You know, Ryan, we've talked about this several times, but you're, you're exactly right. And the difference between you and us is that we are going off of known measurables. We don't allow the market to make us, we're making ourselves, And we do that through how we buy it, how we operate it, and it's at a known measurable thing. It's not future fluffy, you know, in the future. Now, most deals though, they're not doing that. And one of the large reasons is they're, they're raising so much money. They have to buy so many deals. They're counting on that market to make them. We're buying at 900,000, but it'll be worth a million because the market will just keep going up. You and I both know that that obviously doesn't always happen. Um, it's been good for 10 years, yeah. right? That's been a great gig and a great game. But uh, at, at some point, with even with self storage, like how I view it is, I'm like the asset only needs to perform at a, in a, a great level, just a great level, and so many of these people are going to be in trouble. And I don't understand why would you do that? Like with this deal, with any other deal we have, we have an incredible deal that is going to blow away as far as returns, performance. We don't need to put strain on that deal that we may lose a great deal because you know we did something dumb. So. When people are losing deals, it doesn't mean that the asset's failing. It may mean that they just bought wrong and they structured the deal wrong. So if you can go right out of the gate, like you said, measurables, structure the deal right, have flexibility, doesn't matter. Yeah. So what's your long-term vision with like all these storage units you're buying? Are you trying to just keep them all long-term? Are you trying to sell them? I mean, I know you're selling the one in Reno. Yeah. So like why? Why sell that one? Yeah. That's an awesome question because you're exactly right. Like it, yeah. it's funny. I'm selling two right now and these will be the first two large facilities we've ever sold. We had smaller facilities in rural markets that we first bought. We sold those off, went into the big ones. Um, we are a long-term investor. We are trying to build wealth and income for us and our investors. Um, now, m- lots of those returns come at a um, an equity liquidation event, right? So you are extracting built-in equity from changing the asset, redoing things. And that's how you're going to get a lot of your returns. 
we believe we can do that without selling the asset. So we do an equity capture in the form of a refinance. And that gives us a huge portion of our equity back. That gives us big returns, but we don't lose the wealth and income for us or our investors. On top of that, in that equity conversion, we actually make the asset safer. So we're not loading up debt. It's still 70-30. The debt percentage doesn't change at all, but the vehicle does. We move it into a non-recourse loan. Now, us, our investors, we have all our money back. We still own the asset. It's still cash flows. We can go buy more. So why would we sell? If that's our game plan well, and, and strategy. And no tax. And no tax. Exactly. <laughs> Way better. Total returns are actually much better almost always. Yep. If you refi, you have no tax. You have all those benefits AJ mentioned. You don't have to recapture depreciation. Exactly. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it's one of the things that is for most time with 90% of operators. In fact, I don't know another storage company that really does the way we do. They're always selling because they want to get that low cap rate. And lots of time it's because of the price that they're buying and that's how they get paid most of their money. I don't like doing that. Um, it forces a lot of things. Now, why I do sell is, is simple. When we looked at refining the Reno property, we were going to refi it at 16 million. So the um, equity, because of the crazy market that we're in now, um, divergent from that value and attainable refinance that we could get was crazy. I mean, you're talking 16 million or 35 million after taxes, after everything else, you're still pulling out six times what we would have pulled out at refinance. Why was the appraisal so low? So there's a few reasons I think why. Um, first of all, we're selling it. There is the ability to expand onto it um, that hasn't been in. So, I mean, not a few reasons. Really, it's based on pro forma. So they believe we can up rates. We could do some expansion, right? We can do these things that we can get that value up there. Well, when you're getting an appraisal, the buy, the appraisal isn't looking at any future things, anything like that. They're looking at income costs. They're looking at comps, right? Um, they're not taking into account any of the things that a buyer would take into account. Buyers also are motivated for very different reasons. A lot of people are buying in an inflationary environment like we're in just to not lose money. So all of a sudden, when that bank comes in, that bank's going to underwrite this at a six and a half cap, right? Well, no buyer is underwriting this asset at a six and a half cap. It's at a four or a three cap. Well, that's double. So you're talking about the bank at a six cap versus selling it at a three cap, cap is double what they're expecting. And that obviously just kills that value to almost half. Right. So it's that's the main primary reason why. And it, it, normally speaking, there shouldn't be such a big divergent. Right. Right. But when there is, obviously, obviously like, we have to take better. it and we got to do what's right for us and our investors, which we would never, because it, for me, I look at it as income to equity. That's one of my biggest factors. So when you look at the Reno deal, we're going to make how much money off this? So we're going to make X amount of income, but the equity built into that 35 million, our return on that equity is nothing. And even if we refinanced and pulled it back, we still have over 15 million in equity sitting there. Even after what we've realized that income, it's just such a low return. Frankly, we just think it would be irresponsible for us to not sell. Yeah. No, 100% agree. Um, people always ask me just with some of our properties, you know, I'm, I'm moving into a new house. They're like, Ryan, what are you going to do? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to rent it? Airbnb. I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to look at all the options when yeah. I'm ready to move. Yeah. And then I'll make the choice. Then I'll make the decision. Yeah. You know, if the bank says it's worth 1.2 and all of a sudden somebody wants to give me 2 mil for it. Yeah. It's like, 
well, we're selling. Yeah. And yeah. that's how, you know, you look at an asset like this, let's say you're all in it 15, 20 million and you get it open and you're in stable and you're going to go to stabilize it. And somebody walks in and says, geez, I'll, I'll just take it off your hand and I'll pay you 45, 50 million. <laughs> you're like, you're, okay. Okay. Well, we, you're taking years off of our time frame, right? And you're paying us what we were trying to even get to, to a high amount that wouldn't be achievable, even at a refinance. You got to, you just got to take those. Yeah. We've actually had people approach us about our apartment we bought in um, Georgia. You know, we paid a little over 20 million for these um, over 300 units. And shortly after, um, a lot of these buyers started asking us like, hey, what's it take to sell? Like, what do you want for it? What do you want? And we're like, we're not really trying to sell. Like we just bought this to, we want to hold it long term, right? But there's always a make me move price. Always. Hey, make us offers. And yeah. It makes sense. We'll sell it. I, I mean, I got people that reach out on some of our other properties that we're in the middle of turning around. They're like, hey, I've got an all cash buyer. They want to come in. Here's my price. And this is after I do all the work. It's after I stabilize it. And even at that end, it's a high end price. But the idea is going, you have to make me move from it. Yeah. And I know the value will be here. And I know I'm extracting it and I have the ability to, and we're in the middle of it. So you need to pay me to walk away from that value creation because I'm not taking a discount on it just because yeah. you want. And there's lots of buyers that are like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. And we're like, well, you just cut years off for us and you're paying a premium and a market cycle that we're in right now, which is at the top of the market anyways. Right. Makes for great exits. But, you know, I guess if all things are equal, you get a fair um, appraisal and all that. You're you're looking to keep these things. We're looking to keep them it, it, because we can give us, our investors, all their money back plus a return and still own the asset. When you look at an equity multiple, our equity multiple is so high because we all still own the equity. Yeah. So it's, you know, you're getting, it's, we want a cake and we want to eat it too. I want my <laughs> equity back, right? Yep. And I want to own the asset still. And I want it to increase over the next five years. I still want income. I want that mailbox money coming yep. in. Go refi it again. Go five refi years it later. five years later. Exactly. Yep. Keep getting that money. Yep. No, I, I agree, dude. I mean, look, that's, that's the biggest benefit of real estate is, is holding real estate. Yeah. You know, when you get all of the appreciation and the pay down and the tax benefits and you can cost seg them and do these things yep. like your one, which is huge. I mean, we, we had a deal where, um, our last two facilities, they came in, we did a cost seg and we got like 81%. So 81%, we could write off of, of our, um, how, our did you, how was price. it so high? That's like, I'm still trying to high. figure out like normally we would like say like 30 to 50%. 30. Yeah. Like, and I think it had to do with a, a lot of things and our cost, um, Said guys are awesome. Um, we use Yona. I don't know if you, you know, you know, not sure who we're Yona using. Wise, so, um, but they're, they're amazing at what they do. And we, they look at a lot of these assets and separate out uh, a lot of the building structures and, and um, how we look at it. So if it's constructed in a certain way, we get really good cost seg. So like the Kmart is actually a great one to cost seg because they're old. You have these big um, air conditioning systems. So what your cost segging to the revenue or what you had to put in it, right, is different. I mean, think about it. If you had, if you had a, that Walmart and it was worth, you know, forty million prior with all the building, everything else like that, and then you're buying it and building it out for fifteen million, and then you're cost segging it, all of a sudden that that starts to look really good. But with all that said, 
at the end of the day, it's kind of a stab in the dark because I don't get why some come out way better. And <laughs> I don't know what the IRS is doing. Yeah. But that's a, that's a real return for people though. Yeah. That we don't talk about because we're not in control of it, but. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Some of our investors have asked us that before on different deals. And I'm like, Hey, look, you know, yeah, I've said it could get 50%, but you just don't know. You don't know. Every building's different. Everyone's different. And I, I don't know why. And people are like, well, what was your last one? And I'm like, we had one that was 30 and one that was 80. So <laughs> pick a number, right? It's like uh, pick one in between. I've there. never heard 80 though. Crazy. I've, I've heard 30 to 50 as, you know, kind of that range. It's the highest I've ever gotten. And it was the last one we did. It was uh, two facilities. Um, and it's so far the highest, highest cost seg we've ever, ever gotten back. That's crazy. Well, dude, um, I think I'm so excited for this deal. I've always wanted to own storage and I think, uh, it's going to be awesome just being able to, since it's in my back, like I would have did this deal with you, even yeah. if it was in, you know, not yeah. my backyard, but the fact that it's in my backyard um, makes it even funner because I'm going to be able to now go film at it and check it out yes. and keep uh, investors, everyone up to date. So um, guys, well, it makes can, a great partnership for me and you. And it was like when we were even looking at it, that's why we were talking, I just called you up, which is yeah. hilarious because I called you up and I'm like, dude, I got a deal that you're going to love. And you're like, okay, where is it? You were on the street. Yeah. But it was like, what are the odds? You were on the street yeah. that it was. You just literally turned, drove right back, and yep. you were at it. Yep. You called me. I was actually going to film at, um, you know, one of our rental properties. And I was like, wait, where is it? It's like, oh, hold up. Let me let me go pull up right here and uh, go go see it for us right now. Because he had just put it in contract. It's crazy. But yeah, um, yeah dude, it's going to be a great deal. And for those interested, PanitiCapital.com, you can apply. Um, we're going to link to AJ's, um, socials and everything down below. He's got a great podcast, great channel, his book, all those things. And, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on the show again, man. You earned that second invite. Thanks, man. Happy to. <laughs> well, guys, make sure you subscribe. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching the Ryan Pineda show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.